Hello, Goat Gabbers! After a short break in our series on the Adga Scar Card, we are so excited to have Todd Biddle as our guest this week. He is taking a deep dive into the memory system category. We hope you find this episode informative and enlightening. So come join us! Welcome, Goat Gabbers, to another exciting of Goat Gab. As always, I am Cameron. And I'm Laura, and we are so excited to be here. Um, it's It's been a busy summer, it's been a busy week, and we're just tickled to be here today. And especially tickled to welcome our special guest this week, Mr. Todd Biddle. So hi, Todd. Hi. Would you like to introduce yourself a little bit and tell our listeners about who you are and... and uh, just whatever you want to share with us. Yeah. So I basically agriculture is my life and my passion. So I, many of you know me as an agda judge. I've been judging dairy goats for 28 years, or you may know me as a son and dairy goat or Dutch rabbit breeder, but I'm also an ag educator and I am getting ready to enter my 27th year of teaching. So, um, but I tell people, I count down the years to retirement because I have other goals in mind, like maybe being a future linear appraiser. And so as part of your passion for agriculture, you breed beautiful animals of many different species. So you want to tell us a little bit about your beautiful dairy goats first and then the other things that you breed also? Yeah, so uh, I always tell people I'm really glad that we have multiple species because when you breed animals, you have highs and lows. And so if one barn isn't thriving, you hope that another barn is thriving. So we have four horse barns, one goat barn, and one rabbit barn. And uh, right now the goats are looking really good. I'm pretty excited about showing at the national show next year uh, because it'll only be an hour and 20 minutes from uh, the farm. Um, So, And then we also have a classic series six horse hitch. So we take that hitch on the road to compete at different uh, classic series qualifying shows. So you may see our hitch um, at different state fairs throughout New England or the Midwest. And I'm actually taking a break from showing rabbits. And I'm not sure that many people are aware, but there is a major virus that is going through the country. It was created to control wild rabbits in other countries. And now this virus is in the United States and it's hit heavily on the West Coast. And I am very fearful that it could wipe out my entire breeding program. And so I have just decided to not show rabbits for a while. So kind of a quarantine in the rabbit herd. Yeah. Not because my rabbit herd has it. I just don't want it. And I raise Dutch rabbits, which are marked animals. And you have to breed about, you have to get like me, you might get a good one out of 50 babies. And when I say a good one, one that will place in the top 10 at the national convention or national show. So, you know, it would be very hard to replace my breeding program, especially because I am probably the country, actually maybe even the world's premier chocolate Dutch breeder. Uh, That's pretty much my specialty. Um, And so I certainly want to make sure that my genetics are well-preserved. And so I'm showing goats, helping dad a lot with the horses lately and taking care of the rabbits, but no focus on showing. Now, just because I've seen your horses, I know what breed they are, but you didn't mention that. Do you want to? Uh, Belgians. And we have been raising them for, oh my goodness, 
over 40 years. Uh, right now, our, uh, our focus is really on our hitch, but we do breed a few mares a year. And uh, we have sold some influential mares, geldings, and stallions that have done a lot of uh, good in other breeding programs. But as my dad begins to age, he has recently said to me, you know, Todd, you know, I really would like you in future years to take over the breeding program aspect of the farm. So I think that's another reason why I'm starting to uh, figure out uh, retirement and then also trying to keep my uh, rabbits in check because I know that the horses are very important to our family. And I definitely want to make sure that that continues because it's pretty exciting that my nieces are all horse lovers and they're, you know, third generation, three generations of Biddles participating in the competition, you know, is something to be pretty proud of. And so uh, I want to make sure that I'm part of that. Oh, that's really neat. That's just pretty exciting. If you've never seen a Belgian horse show. It's truly incredible. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's almost, I mean, it is art to watch these animals move around the ring and watch them. Um, and, and really just see how they move and they carry themselves and how they work together. It's truly a team sport. It's, it's, um, last or a couple of years ago, I got the opportunity to watch, uh, actually the Belgian show at the Indiana state fair. And, it was truly probably one of the highlights of my uh, time at the Indiana State Fair, besides showing my goats, because it was really beautiful uh, to watch these animals move around the ring and see all of the technical points that these large, powerful animals, but how much beauty they can create as well. Were you sitting next to Kurt Schnipke as he was texting me, telling me how beautiful our hitch is? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I was. <laughs> I wish you'd come to Missouri. That's always one of the highlights um, for me of the Missouri State Fair is going to watch the hitches. And they do a 6, 8, and a 12 that's just breathtaking. It just almost brings you to tears. It's so beautiful to watch these animals. They're just, it's just amazing. Well, that being said, thinking about the Indiana State Fair, when I watched those Belgians three years ago, I was back at the Indiana State Fair uh, yesterday. And how was that? Did you have a good time? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We had a great time. Um, and we, our animals did very well and we're very proud and, of our animals. And um, yeah, again, uh, with all um, success, obviously comes frustration as well because we did manage to blow two tires on the way there. When you texted me on the first one, I'm like, gosh, dang it. I'm always afraid that's going to happen. When you, when you told me that you blew the second one, I thought, there is somebody upstairs telling you to stay home. Well, I'm glad we did not. But uh, a great show and some great families there that we hung out with. And it's always good to see friends again, even though I just saw them a week ago, most of them. <laughs> um, so, yes, good good show there. And that's kind of what's been dominating on my farm. What about you? Um, I've been happy to be home. My job was happy to see me. Um my laundry was happy to see me. And, and honestly, I didn't have that feeling when Friday hit, oh, I'm not going to a show because I really was glad to be home. So, um, you know, it's just, it's nice to take a little bit of a break before we hit, hit a couple of more shows. And then I think we're probably done for the year. So that's, it's always bittersweet to get to that end, but then there's the excitement of breeding season coming up. So we've got that to look forward to then too. So, um, 
Todd, what have you been up to since the national show? And you want to talk about that a little bit. Trying to get caught up on all the farm work before I go back to school. So today I was unloading a lot of hay. Yeah. Takes a lot of hay to feed 22 Belgians. I bet it does. I can't imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Yuck. Do you feed alfalfa or the same hay that your goats get? Or do you have to dig around for two different kinds of hay? Or So uh, basically... So we have goat hay and we have horse hay. And then, as I told mentioned earlier, we have multiple barns. And so we, we basically have put most, we also farm. So we, most of our farm this year is actually in corn. So we have to buy more hay. So our show horses eat differently than our breeding horses. And also in our goats, we have different hay for different aspects of a goat's life. So our hay mouths are very interesting. So it's kind of like all this cross sections of specialty hay. And with the, with the show horses, we feed mostly grass hay, but we feed uh, different amounts of Timothy or orchard grass. And then we do use some alfalfa with the young horses and then, of course, with the goats, we use mostly alfalfa, but we do use some grass hay because we actually find our goats sometimes like the grass hay better than the alfalfa. Yeah, darn them. Yeah, really. <laughs> Very neat. So you kind of have a, a supermarket system there that you can pick and choose what you need to use for different animals in different situations. Exactly. Very cool. Very cool. And we do mix hay as we feed. So we don't feed straight. So we may mix two totally different types of hay. Oh, very but, good. Uh, we also do a lot of large square bales so that it makes the hay management a little easier. Yeah, that would be. I, we do the large squares here and it's, it's really nice. Um, again, you have to have the capacity to do that, like the machinery to do that. But if you do, it's really nice. So Todd, this, the national show this year, obviously was not your first national show to judge. Um, you want to share kind of some of your thoughts on it and how it went? I'm going to share my thoughts without trying to get teary-eyed and choke up. You know, it was just wonderful to be able to have a national show and to have the opportunity to judge so many beautiful goats and be in the company of many people who share the same passion for the dairy goat industry as I do. And, you know, last year, the greatest thing I learned was not to take things for granted. And I realized that there are bumps in the road as we get things back up and running. And to be honest with you, I think more bumps in the road are coming. But when we have the opportunity to do the things that we love, we need to take a deep breath and savor the moment. And I definitely savored the moment. Yeah, I would agree. And, um, as always, Todd, your reasons were very well. And as an exhibitor of someone that showed under you, it was it was very clear. And I knew exactly where I stood in each class. So thank you for giving excellent reason. Yes, you do a great job of painting word pictures with what you're saying. And, and um, it is appreciative when you walk out of the ring after looking at those placings, you're like, yep, I can totally see that. So that's that's always helpful. Well, one thing we have to remember about goat shows is that and, and the same is true with, with other species of livestock, is that so many of our shows are live stream now. So it is very we're not just presenting to the audience in the stand or to the exhibitor. 
but we also are presenting to the myriad of people globally who are chiming in and watching through live stream. And so I always try to keep that in mind. Is that a little daunting as a judge to think about that? I don't allow myself to really think about the number of people who might be watching, but you know, it's a wonderful opportunity. I mean, this is one of the great things of technology is that we are able to share, you know, our art with people globally and to people who cannot be there in person. I mean, in the old days, you know, 1988 was my first Agda nationals and it was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And it was, I mean, I just so fondly remember it, but unless you could actually make the trip to the actual fairgrounds, you didn't get to see all the beautiful goats. Now we can share our beautiful goats via technology. And while it's not the same as being in the ring or maybe even sitting in the stands or talking to the exhibitors back at their pens, it still is probably the next best thing to a picture. You know what I mean? Like it's so much more, it says so much more than a picture does. For sure. And people can learn so much, you know, listening and watching and observing and sometimes maybe even more through live stream than what they do in person because you can just focus on that. Well, yes. And so now the wonderful thing is, you know, that they're recorded. And so people who paid the $35 or whatever it was, they now can go back in for, you know, the next several weeks and they can watch shows. So when they have more time, it can really give them valuable information that they may use in selecting sires uh, for their breeding programs. Yes, let's, I, I would see that too. Well, thinking about our breeding programs and thinking about um, the national show and all the excitement that was there, I think it's a perfect opportunity to go ahead and start talking about the Edgar scorecard and specifically diving into that memory system. Don't you think, Laura and Todd? Most definitely. Let's do it. So the memory system, obviously one of the high point categories on the scorecard, 35 points. And it's a major focus, and it's the biggest category. So the big question is, why, Todd? What, what in your thoughts and, and words, why is the memory system the biggest category and something we focus on a lot in the American Dairy Goat Association? So we have to remember the memory system is the true working part of the goat. The ultimate goal of agriculture is to feed a growing population. This population is growing exponentially. And the goat plays a major role in the feeding of people on the globe. Many countries come to the United States for our excellent genetics. While some of these countries do not show their goats, I believe in many of the parts of the world, more emphasis is on productivity, producing milk to feed families, more than having beautiful cosmetic show goats. So the key to having productive udders is to have an udder that is functional for a long period of time. Functionality is not just ease of milking, but it's also utter health. These are two concepts that are highly correlated. As breeders, we want to breed the type of goats that meets our goals. While I would hope that people are serious about dairy goat genetics and would aim towards breeding a total goat that would be aligned with the Agda scorecard, we have to remember that people raise goats for different reasons and have different priorities in their respective breeding programs. Now, in my own personal herd, memory system is the trait I call first. If a doe cannot score excellent in her memory system as a first freshener, she is not going to make the cut. 
People say, oh, that's pretty hard. Well, I have to tell you, I'm also probably one of the few people out there that hand milk saunas. And when you're hand milking 14 heavy producing saunas, some of those who give you two of those buckets that you see people milking into on live stream at the Agda National Show, it is very important those those teats hang plump, that you know you have ease of milking, and that while I'm sitting there squeezing these teats, I definitely want something pretty to look at for those few moments of my life as I go from one goat to the next. <laughs> I think that sounds like a pretty compelling reason to call for udders. <laughs> you know, I often hear, you know, when breeding goats, you know, I, I always love reading different people's philosophy. And, you know, it's one of the things I like about social media. Even though social media often gets out of control, if you, there's so much that can be learned as people reflect. And so, uh, I just love reading posts and listening to people who have had lots of experience and them sh sharing their insight. And, you know, one of the things that I've been hearing is that, you know, build the goat and then worry about the other. Well, in my herd, I personally believe the two go hand in hand. The frame of the goat needs to match the mammary system. And that goat has to be able to comfortably move around that mammary system. And so we have to make sure that we keep that in mind. And so in my way of thinking, I breed for structure and the mammary system at the same time. I don't feel that one should be ever given an emphasis over the other because the two of them are totally dependent on each other. I can see that. Yeah. And it's interesting, Todd, that you bring that up, but you want the udder to match the size of the goat. And I remember specifically at the national show, you came up to me and you said to me, well, the size of the udder does not match the goat. So it makes a lot more sense now why you came up and said that to me. Well, one of the things that I think that people forget is it's not just looking at the Agda scorecard. Page 145 in your Agda guidebook is one of the most important pages because it begins to take that scorecard and break it down into more descriptions as defects are described. And so I think many people lose sight of that, you know, the animal first and foremost has to be productive. And so in order to have productivity, you have to have an animal that is going to produce enough milk to be profitable in a commercial type situation. And so people who have commercial dairies have figured out, you know, what is that bottom line? How much does this goat have to milk in order for us to make a profit? The other thing that people who make their living off of goats think about is, okay, before this goat ever freshens, I have so much money just in the feed and the labor and, you know, the management of this animal. And so if this goat can live a longer life, I can divide that initial cost of getting that goat to a productive life over those number of years. So, you know, one of my mentors was Ann Weichel, and she had a commercial dairy. And it was very important for her to have goats that had long productive lives because she could break down that startup cost over that those period of years.
And so in the end, she found it, you know, actually helped her profitability, her bottom line. So what you're saying, or let me make sure that I'm understanding what you're saying. When people will make a comment of, well, I'm only going to look at the udders right now, and then I can fix my rump structure, or then I can fix my front ends, or then I can fix, um, you know, the width from thorough to thorough. That doesn't hold it for you. Not at all. Nope. No, I believe that you've got to look, if, you know, because you have to have that whole hind end assembly to go with that mammary system. Okay. So, and you have to have those feet and legs that can get that goat back and forth, uh, you know, to eat every day. And so you have to make sure that you're building the two at the same time. And I think that, you know, we live in an industry where, you know, people pay a lot of attention to the goats that win nationally and they say, okay, I'm trying to fix this trait. So this herd is really strong in this trait. They get onto, you know, agtogenetics, which is an absolutely wonderful resource. And they say, oh, yeah, this, you know, this buck is known for this trait. But they maybe don't think about in fixing that trait, are you creating another issue with another trait that could actually hurt your productivity of that animal? Yeah, I, I agree. And I've, I, I've seen it in my herd and Laura's probably seen it in her herd where necessarily a buck might take you one step in the one direction. However, in other directions, he might take you back. And, you know, you really going, you really want to go West, but you're really going Southwest. Or like the time that I really decided I wanted to concentrate on breeding those great, big, high, very wide rear udders, but the animals that I had in my herd didn't have the rump structure to, to support that. So then you get twisted udders and all kinds of other issues. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that's an important thing to keep in mind is that, uh, that width of rump, that thorough placement is what really helps you support the mammary system underneath. And it also gives you that width then to have, proper placement of legs. So as that goat is walking around the mammary system, they're not popping their stifle because popping the stifle is certainly not a desirable trait. Well, I think thinking about that, I think it's a perfect segue to talk about utter support. And it's, it is the high point category. It's one of the highest point categories of the entire Adga scorecard in terms of a single category. And it's very important that um, the mammary system be supported very well because you don't only just want a big udder, you want it to be well supported and it's not dragging on the ground. And I totally agree. When I look at a mammary system, you know, you often look at that rear udder first and, you know, it's very important to have that strong medial so that the udder is not just supported, but it also has a major influence on how those teats are placed and how that milk is going to flow down out of that mammary system as you milk the goats. So I'm a big sucker for rear udders. Um, you know, I, that just, that really is what I just love about animals are those really high and wide rear udder attachments. Um, you know, as you, as you're looking at that though, sometimes you wonder, 
as this dough matures, is this going to get better? Is this going to get worse? Can you talk a little bit about maturity and number of lactations and how that influences uh, what you're looking for in attachments? There really is no textbook, uh, you know, answer to that type of question because goats change over time. And in our respective herds, most of us can only keep so many goats. So often, you know, we have a set criterion that we use to select the goats that we keep. But we are going to let go of goats that maybe we thought aren't going to be special, um, that may become special goats because as they mature, the mammary system may actually improve in its beauty. Uh, and so, you know, I've been in goats a long time, and there's some really great stories out there. And one of my favorite uh, dairy goat journal stories is about a national champion Toggenberg named, you know, permanent grand champion Hoosier Acres Claire. And uh, she was owned by now Julie Matthews, at that time Julie Wiesahan. And it shows this picture of this very gangly, gawky-looking milky yearling with this mammary system that if you look at the mammary system inside profile, it had the right amount of rear udder in front, hidden, and behind the rear leg, but it was not smoothly attached into the body wall. And so then they show a series of pictures of Claire as she matured, you know, and eventually was later uh, a national champion. And so there are lots of goats that have this similar story. A person that's actually kind of, you know, doing a lot of picture collages is a uh, Emily, Emily and Anna Thompson, and they're doing this a lot with their own goats where they are creating these beautiful collages of this doe as she goes through her productive life. And so I had a lot of fun looking at Rubiot's pictures. Now, I always thought Rubiot was beautiful as from a milking yearling on, but it was really cool to kind of watch this udder metamorphosize. And so I think as breeders who, and we're in a world of technology you know, taking pictures of your young does and watching them progress over time, you know, is really good feedback. And it helps you begin to understand how udders change. So, you know, you might have a collection of two-year-olds and the two-year-old that has the best udder now may not be your best udder doe when she's a five-year-old. So what I'd really look at for in a young two-year-old is does this doe have a strong medial? Does she have a strong lateral attachment and lateral support? Are her teeth properly placed? Is that mammary pretty inside profile with the right amount of balance in relationship to the rear leg? And if there's a little pocket in the front of the udder, I don't really worry about it because one thing that I have noticed over time is that as the body of a goat matures, that body can actually either hide that foreudder or it can actually push the entire udder back. And that's something that took me a long time to understand, but um, it definitely, udders can definitely change in their appearance as the goat matures. And so you kind of have to play with, okay, this is what I'm going to accept on a two-year-old mammary system uh, or a milking yearling uh, without calling her. Or, you know, maybe I want to put this goat in a friend's dairy 
and <laughs> see how she matures. You know, one of the greatest things uh, I've had in my lifetime was my goats once lived in a dairy. And, you know, and so any goat that I didn't want to keep, I actually sold to the dairy. Well, guess what? I ended up buying some of those goats back because does that I didn't think were going to have the fancy show udders, when they were five-year-old does, their udders were quite lovely. So um, I still want that medial to be – I would never keep a young doe that didn't have a strong medial. And I would never keep a young doe that didn't have respectable shape to that mammary system. But uh, definitely uh, four udders in the relationship to the body can definitely change over time. So when you talk about respectable shape, what I, I know the ideal shape is a globular shape. But what are some of the other shapes of a mammary system that we might you might see out in the field as, as a judge or, or even maybe in your own herd? So that's an excellent point. And this is where, you know, we get into a conversation, you know, people always say, well, you know, linear appraisal is very different than an Agda show. And while I definitely respect that they are two totally different programs, we have to make sure that we understand that these programs are making use of the exact same scorecard. But the more traits that go into a particular part of a GOAT, the more diversity you are going to see in what something may look like. And so an excellent mammary system can look a lot of different ways. All right. And so, you know, you have to respect that even though we may have a concept of our mind, what is ideal, a mammary system can have slight deviation from that. And while it might be not be an ideal mammary system, it still can be an excellent mammary system. So, you know, going back to that whole globular mammary system, yeah, it's great, but can the goat walk around it? And so, you know, if the goat can't walk around it, then for that respective doe, that's too wide, you know. Um, and ultimately, we also have to remember that we want these goats producing lots of milk at the same time in order to be productive animals. So, you know, you know we have to make sure that we keep those two aligned. I can see that. Yeah, totally there. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I have a doe in my herd who I bought from the West Coast, and she had shown very well. And I brought her back east, and she has this huge mammary system, a lot of support, a lot of area of udder attachment. But the udder is not that pretty textbook shape, you know. Uh, and so as I would take her to local shows – and people, she had the name as, oh, Todd's Big Uttered Goat. And she didn't do very well. And I was like, I can't see why this doe is not doing very well. And, but I was showing, it was ironically, you know, people don't hire as many out of the area judges as they used to. And so I, there was a show in the Midwest. And I'm like, you know what? I need to take this doe to the Midwest because every year I appraise this doe. Every year she scores excellent in memory system. And Todd Biddle's opinion she has an excellent mammary system, but these judges are not recognizing the beauty of this mammary system. I took her to a four ring show in Indiana and easily finished her because those judges had, you know, living on the West Coast, seen mammary systems that had more diversity in their shape, 
kind of understood, you know, oh, not all memory systems have to look the same way, but that they can still be a high quality memory system. And so um, that's one of the things we have to keep in mind. You know, definitely, you know, as I was selecting those to be considered for best utter at the national show, I was looking for an ideal memory system. But in our own breeding programs, you know, you can be close to ideal and still be an extremely high quality mammary system. And that mammary system may have different looks to it. Maybe the teeth's a little long, maybe the teeth's a little big, you know, um, maybe the shape of the fore udder, you know, isn't as rounded as you would like, you know, maybe the rear udder of the goat is a little more oval in shape versus round, you know, those types of things. That makes sense. Um, Let's talk about four udders a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, I feel like that this, the AGA scorecard is really um, descriptive in what they're wanting in a four udder as wide and long, full to the side. And then this phrase of it, I always found very interesting, extending moderately forward without excess non-lactating tissue. So to me, that means that there are some udders that have tissue that's too far forward. So let's... Let me give you a little bit of historical perspective. You know, we can learn a lot about mammary systems from the dairy cattle industry. Even though the two industries are totally different, the sharing of information can be somewhat valuable. So years ago, the Jersey breed and the Ayrshire breed bred for these really long, beautiful foreigners. And... What they learned is that a lot of that tissue that extended, you know, up to the belly, if you will, was non-lactating, that it wasn't actually making milk. And so what is the value of having something cosmetic that's not functional? And so, you know, I have this rule of thumb that I've kind of developed in evaluating mammary systems is that, you know, I'm looking at that balance from side profile, that one third behind the rear leg, one third hidden by the rear leg, one third in front. And I look at where does that foreudder align in relationship to the hip. And usually I find if the foreudder aligns with the hip of the goat to me, and, and it's a wide and, you know, it's, you know, it's well attached to me, that is a good foreudder. I don't need to have a foreudder that's, you know, extending up to the belly, if you will. Because if it's not productive, if there's no productivity, oh my gosh, if there is no productivity in the cells of that mammary system, then it's just cosmetic. So it's not functional. And we have to remember form equals function. So if it's not making milk, then it's just cosmetic. So question about that, Todd. And, and thinking about that, when you ask goats, obviously you, you've judged nationals and best utter classes and they're milked out for best utters and for most best in show lineups, goats are milked out. Do you ever find, because I'm, I'm racking my brain and I don't really think I've ever seen a four that's just cosmetic and that is not non-lactating tissue when they've been milked out. So do you, did you know what that looks like? Can you describe what that looks like? Yes, and, and I and I and I have seen it several times. Um, so, 
you know, they, they always use this phrase, although, you know, it's not the most uh, maybe politically correct terminology, but they always say the goat needs to milk out like a dish, uh, you know, a hanging dish rag, uh, you know, and I'm sure you've all heard that. And, but, you know, you will see goats that still have the same utter shape when they're milked out as they do when they're full, even though the udder has deflated, if you will, it still is showing that shape. And when you put your hands on it, you know, you can actually feel that tissue. And so that goat just did not melt down. So recently within the last, you know, two weeks, I was judging this really lovely Nubian doe and uh, for best in show. And I said, did you milk this goat out? <laughs> I mean, she definitely had less milk than what she did when she came in the ring. And like, oh, yes, we milked her and milked her. And I said, you know, would you, would you mind taking her out of the ring and milking her again? And, and they did. And they brought her back in the ring. And her udder still had that general shape with a lot of non-lactating tissue. Obviously, that scope probably had some udder health issues over her lifetime. And, you know, that udder did not collapse to that dish rag-like appearance that, you know, judges are looking for. Gotcha. That's, that's a very good description. Thank you. So one of the other parts in talking about mammary shape, it talks about balance between the two halves. And um, I think all of us have, have had, probably had animals in our herds that, that you look at them and you're like, gosh, she is a little bit light on that side, or maybe she got damaged on that side or, um, Heaven forbid, maybe a kid got out overnight and and had a little snack, and you're trying to consider how much how much uneven is okay. Do you have any thoughts on that? That's a really interesting question because I have to tell you, I was judging a show this weekend, and someone asked me, "Well, why didn't you pick this particular goat for reserve national champion?" And it's like, well, you know, if you listen to my reasons, the doe was slightly unbalanced. You know, I think sometimes. It's all, we have to remember, it's all relative to the competition in the show ring. So, you know, first of all, I look at, you know, page 145 of the guidebook, and it does a very good job of describing what is a very serious defect on even udder, okay? And then you have to ask yourself, okay, how uneven is this udder? And even with having this slight unevenness, does it, you know, we, we certainly have to deduct, you know, a point here or a point there for that. But does it, you know, totally make the mammary system less desirable in comparison to other does in the class? And so I say it's comparative. So, you know, in my opinion, when you're at the national show and you have all these beautiful mammary systems and, you know, that balance to me is extremely important because you are judging the best in our industry against the best. But when you're at a local show, you might show a doe that's a little uneven. And that mammary system, even being a little uneven and not having a very serious defect, is superior to the other mammary systems in the class. And so in that case, in my reasons, I'm going to recognize that maybe the doe in second um, had a more you know, balanced mammary system but I'm still going to use the other parts of the Agda score card to justify why this mammary system that might be slightly unbalanced is better than the other mammary system. One thing I have noticed is I think that 
we have become more lenient on udders that maybe are slightly uneven than in years past. So, you know, when I was a teenager starting my, you know, goat showing career and I showed heavily with uh, Dr. Richard Stonebeck and Ann Weichel, you know, you, we never took a doe in the ring that the udder wasn't perfectly even. And, you know, as we were relieving does, you know, there were four of us looking at these udders, making sure that these goats were going in the ring with, you know, a perfect, you know, shape of your udder. Uh, you know, I do see now that there are does that are going in the ring slightly uneven and they're still winning. Okay. But again, you know, balance, symmetry, quality, it's six points of the total picture, you know, and, you know, rear udder, it also can impact some rear udder points, seven points. So if it's just a little bit, you know, you're just going to take a point here and a point there. It isn't going to necessarily take that mammary system from being high quality to low quality, if that makes any sense. That yeah. does make sense. Yes. I agree on that. Staying on the, um, it's interesting because my fiance and I have had this discussion where I think a lot of goats these days are actually uneven, but it's only ever so slightly uneven. At least I notice it in my herd a lot. And like maybe it's because I just look at them every day. And I'm seeing more of a trend towards most goats being uneven just for some one thing or another, but that necessarily doesn't impact their milk ability. You know, does that make sense to everybody? Yes. And this is where we go back to this form equals function. You know, are we breeding the right type of rump and rear leg structure that the goat can walk comfortably around the mammary system and that leg not put pressure on that mammary system to want to make that goat relieve milk. I mean, think of the goat who's a little over uttered and, you know, you take the teat tape or the sealant off and she begins to drain milk as she walks. You know, that's kind of the concept, you know, that's not a good thing because when milk is leaking from the udder, you increase the chances of getting diseases like mastitis. And so you want to make sure that that mammary system can hold that milk you know, and that orifice does its job without being influenced by the pressure of the leg pushing against that mammary system as the doe is moving. Continuing to talk about kind of that category, there's balance, there's three parts. There's balance, there's symmetry, and there's quality. How do you define symmetry? So it's, the, it's that shape in relationship to the leg, you know. Okay. Does it have that, that, that shape? of the appropriate amount of milk behind, hidden by, and in front of the rear leg. But the other thing that I think a lot of people fail to look at is how high does that rear udder extend at the top into the escutcheon in relationship to the vulva? And is there enough milk at the bottom part of the rear udder in relationship to the leg? I'm seeing more so than ever mammary systems that I would use the word tilted to describe or, you know, this flat rear udder. And I think it's becoming a huge problem in dairy goats because I think a lot of people are standing behind the goat and really putting, oh, this is goat has a really beautiful rear udder. But how does that udder also look inside profile? So you'll see a goat, you'll see a picture of a goat, rear udder is beautiful. But, you know, when you look at 
her inside profile, maybe that rear udder looks exceptionally low and side profile. And so you have to look at both profiles from behind and the side to really kind of get that s- symmetry perspective. Okay. That makes sense. And that's really insightful. So Todd, in, in your experience, let's say that you have a first freshening yearling and you look at her and you think, the udder structure looks good. It's high in the rear. She has a decent foreudder. The medial's there. The teats are there. It's just kind of flat. Is that something that's going to change over time? Or is that something that you need to take a look at and think, yeah, this is this is a, a symptom of a bigger problem and this this doe needs to go? You know, I think I would look at, you know, I'd look at siblings too. You know, uh, are you seeing this trend? Daughters of that particular buck, you, you know, um, or daughters of that particular doe. But, it, you know, from my experience, that trait could change a little bit with maturity of body. But in general, that trait does not change drastically. But I don't want to say on a podcast, well, you need to call that doe because, you know, if she has a flat rear udder and it's never going to get better because you know what? There might be a goat that will make me a liar. <laughs> but in general, in my particular breeding program, no, I, I don't, I would not keep that doe because that doe would not have the appropriate balance, you know, going back to that word balance of mammary system behind the rear leg. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's one of these things that I'm seeing a lot of when I judge goats. And I think it's because again, people are so focused, you know, when those goats are in line and what do judges do? They, they walk the goats around the ring. If you ever show under me, you know, you walk the whole time. And that's because I want to see, can this goat accommodate this mammary system in relationship to the leg? And how does this goat structure change in relationship to the mammary system? Okay. Um, but a lot of judges just bring them in, put them side by side, and then they walk down and look at the rear udder. Okay. And so, you know, fancy rear udders have become, a thing. And so if the udder looks pretty from the rear, the goat gets pulled into line and the goat may not be desirable from side profile as well. It's really interesting you say that because I reflect on some judging and it's because I see that same thing too, where you have them in that side by side line and you're like, oh, I think I know what I'm going to do. But then you turn them to the other to side profile and all of a sudden you see, oh, well, this is different than what I thought I was going to do. Right. And so, you know, I always say first impression is everything. You know, you know, what was your first impression? And usually, you know, if you have a first impression and then you go to change your mind, you have to make sure that it's not just a change in perspective that's making you change your mind. So, you know, here this goat is walking, you have a perspective of the overall form and function, the mammary system in relationship to the body, you know, and then the goat's at rest and you get a little different picture based on the ability of the handler to present that goat. And you're like, oh, you know what? This goat isn't looking as attractive to me as she did before. But see, it's not that it's the perspective of the goat has changed. And so you have to make sure that you don't let that perspective influence your first impression when you had maybe the correct vision of how this goat was being evaluated in relationship to that scorecard. 
Yeah. So when you're judging goats, perspective changes the entire time based on handling, you know, based on ease of motion, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, I always think of what was my first impression? So when I'm judging a show, you know, the first thing I do is I evaluate the defects. You know, I'm checking for those extra teats, the spur teats, those double orifices. But then I'll just stand back and just get a silhouette vision of the goat. And then I want to see that goat on the move. And does that does that beauty that I saw inside profile remain as that goat is in motion? So you're talking about those animals that you see that when they're standing still, you think, oh, that's a beautiful doe. And then she walks, you're like, oh, that's a train wreck. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, that's why when I judge, I judge 100% on the move. Because, you know, when you think about also linear appraisers, when they appraise those, don't they spend a lot of time, you know, on the move? as they're evaluating those different traits, because the perspective, going back to that word, changes as the goat is in motion. So a goat that has a beautiful mammary system and has the structure to accommodate that beautiful mammary system is going to look lovely on the move, and she's going to look lovely at rest. That makes sense. One last question here. So there's balance, there's symmetry. What about quality, and how do you define quality of mammary? So when I think of quality, you know, I think of utter health, you know, does this utter, you know, milk out is, does, was there a lot of productive, productivity, lactating tissue in that mammary system? And, you know, did this utter milk out really well? Um, You know, does this mammary system have good texture to it? Or when you feel the mammary system, do you feel evidence of maybe some issues with utter health, you know? And so we have to remember that, you know, the udder is exposed to bacteria. And so, you know, there are does that get mastitis. And, you know, some of us are able to catch it right away and there be no damage to the mammary system. And then there are other times where maybe we don't catch it right away or, you know, it's a subclinical mastitis and there ends up being damage to the mammary system. Uh, One of the things that I notice is, you know, there's a lot of dry yearlings out there that have mastitis. And while as a judge, when I evaluate the teeth and I feel this hard tissue on a dry yearling, I can't discriminate against the goat because I have no proof that the goat has active mastitis as a dry yearling. However, from my experience, if you have a dry yearling, that has some udder health issues and the udder is hard, there's a good chance that some bacteria got in that mammary system and did damage to that udder. And, you know, when she freshens, you may not get the the beautiful mammary system you were hoping for because of damage. And um, one time I, 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 well, a really good friend who's bred several national champion saunas, she and I had this conversation about a dry yearling and I'm like, you know, I'm really concerned that this dry yearling, when she freshens, I was judging a show. And I mean, I didn't, again, it didn't impact my placing, but I said to her as a person who I've known, you know, for a long time, I said, yeah, I'm a little concerned about that dry yearling. You know, when she freshens, you know, based on how her, that tissue felt, you know, I, I am not a veterinarian and never do I play a veterinarian in the show ring, but I highly recommend that you have 
a veterinarian look at that mammary system. And she's like, Todd, you know, nothing's wrong with this udder on this dry yearling. You know, I'm not even concerned about it. Well, then the doe freshened. And the next time uh, this breeder saw me, she said, you know, Todd, if I would have listened to you, I would have saved a lot of money. Because she's like, you know, that goat didn't freshen very well because that doe must have had mastitis as a dry yearling. And, you know, it wasn't taken care of. And it really then influenced the texture of rudder. And so, you know, when I'm judging and I feel something in that dry yearling's udder that in my mind should not be there, I always make comment to the exhibitor. You know, I'm not using this in my placing. I am not a veterinarian, nor am I going to play a veterinarian. However, I would suggest that maybe you consult with a veterinarian to look at the health of the shearling. Um, and, you know, it's something that I very carefully regulate in my own breeding program, making sure, because I like dry yearlings. Um, so I, I don't freshen my does until they're two-year-olds. So, you know, I'm always checking those dry yearlings, making sure that they also have, you know, there's nothing in there that makes me have a concern that there may be some damage to that tissue. That makes sense. Awesome. That's a great explanation there of quality. So let's move on to the next area, which are teats. And, you know, a lot of times you hear people say those four points that are allotted to teats are like huge four points, almost as huge as the two points for stature. <laughs> um, anyway, I digress. So let's talk about teats a little bit, okay? So, you know, I actually hate when people say that teats are only worth four points because I think it's much more complicated than that, Okay. First of all, when I look at teats that I find less than ideal, I ask myself, are these teats less than ideal because we have a bigger issue with a medial suspensory ligament challenge, or is this a teat issue? So, you know, a teat that is big or a teat that is long, okay, you know, that's a teat issue or, you know, a teat that lacks delineation. But some of these placement issues that we see with teats are more a medial problem than they are a teat problem. So if it's a medial problem because of the placement of the teat and how that medial is controlling the placement of that teat, then it becomes more than four points because as you're evaluating it, you're taking the medial and the teats into account opposed to just the teats. You know, the other thing that, you know, and I, I know that, you know, working in a dairy is very different than being in a show ring. But again, going back to this form equals function, you know, one of the things that I can remember, and I've actually experienced this myself, is I was at an advanced judges training many years ago, and it was a, a goat, they had this goat forum, and they were with all of these dairies, you know, and people who are, you know, the, the pioneers of the dairy goat industry, and they talked about large teats. And so they said, you know what? Large teats can become, can be a nightmare when milking goats with machines. I mean, machines are, de they're mechanical. They're developed to milk a certain shape and size of teat. And so when you put that machine on that teat, if that milk doesn't flow right or 
if that inflation can't connect and the machine keeps falling off, you're going to increase the chances of getting mastitis. So now going back to the dairy cow industry, look how much more the length and size of dairy cows are uniform than those in goats. Well, pretty much all the cows are milked by machine. Um, and this is a little interesting side thing is now as we, you know, select, uh, you know, robotic milking is changing the way that dairy farmers are having to breed for teats because the laser technology and the way it connects to the teat is very different than the old fashioned method of a person putting, you know, the inflations on the cow. And so, you know, we have to keep those things in mind as a judge. Yeah. It's a four point issue, but you know, maybe in a dairy situation where we're making our living with goats, maybe some of these teat issues have issues with productive life. They're going to cause the dairymen to lose money. And that is not the type of goat that they want in their dairy. And so I, I find this to be a very fascinating, you know, aspect of the mammary system in terms of how we evaluate teats, you know. So and then you have people who do all hand milking and they're like, oh, my goodness, I if I had to milk those teats that, you know, Agda says are ideal, you know, I would never be able to milk goats because I need a teat that's large enough that I can squeeze, you know. And so, again, it's, it's that we have a standard. This is the ideal. But there are things that could influence maybe that teat being a bigger challenge in a practical situation than the show ring. That, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there um, on that. Can you hit on that a little bit, Todd, thinking about our Nigerian breeder listeners? Um, because... I know that when I look at a Nigerian dairy goats udder and I've not, I've not, I'm not a judge. So I'm just looking at it as a spectator, as a dairy goat breeder. And I think about proportion of teat to the size of the udder. Um, I would have a difficult time milking those by hand. They're really small, but yet to get a teat that would be a size that I think would be comfortable to milk, like the size of my Alpines, that would look really funny on a Nigerian udder. Correct. It would be too, way too large. It would, would drag on the ground too. But, right. Yeah. Uh, another health issue. But um, yeah. So no, it's about having that, you know, that, that appropriate length and delineation and shape uh, to go with the overall, you know, in relationships to the mammary system. And so of course, linear appraisers put, you know, numbers on that or they, you know, they, they, you know, put qualitative, you know, they collect qualitative data. So, you know, it's, but in, you know, in judging, you kind of have to, you know, it's a perspective, you know, in terms of balance of the man, you know, how does that teat balance with the mammary system? So obviously in teats, there's a lot of different things. You want a nice size, you want a nice shape, you want it to be delineated. From your experience or your perspective, and I know we're going to go outside of the guidebook here, what do you think the most important aspect of the teat is is it the delineation is it the shape is it the size is it the placement on the utter floor what in your experience and opinion what's the most important thing and again this is purely opinion not adga the orifice and the strength of the sphincter you certainly don't want a sphincter that is going to leak milk 
And you don't want that leaking milk for a number of reasons. First of all, you don't want that leaking milk because, again, we're losing productivity from that animal. We're losing a marketable product. But the other, and you, then you're increasing the chances of an utter health issue because bacteria can get into that mammary system as well. Uh, and so, you know, and again, going back to page 145 of the guidebook, you know, um, I, I say it's one of the most important parts of the guidebook is because, you know, again, that particular trait, not necessarily mentioned in the scorecard per se, is discussed on that list. And so it is a very important thing to also look at, you know, um, when evaluating the doe. So if you have a young doe who likes to leak milk, you know, it's probably not a doe that you want to consider keeping because of those issues that I just described. You know, I, I would never, I, you know what, when you do, when you raise animals for a long time, you keep animals that you shouldn't keep just to see, oh yes, you know, and Michael said, you know, don't keep that goat. But you know what? I decided I was going to keep it anyways. But you know what? She was right. I you know that uh, doe that had a leaking orifice. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, when I show her, I conceal the teeth. Well, guess what? That doe got mastitis and, and, and I ended up calling her anyways. And, and she went to the stockyards. So, you know, let's not forget that we want that doe not to leak milk. The other thing is when we think about the show ring situation, you know, one thing that I highly respect about, you know, most of my fellow goat breeders is that we have some of the highest standards for health. Okay. There are so many goat breeders who work so hard to keep their herds disease free. And now think about this goat leaking all this milk. Think about the fact that a judge is handling this animal Think about if this judge gets some of this leaking milk on their hand and then they touch your animal. You don't know that that leaking milk was from a disease-free animal. And could it potentially influence the health of your goat? And so, you know, I, I, you know leaking milk is not a good thing. And so, you know, one of the challenges with showing, and, and I struggle with this, because we are all, we all have really good friends. And we can't go to a show in most cases and not help our friends because we all need each other. And that is one of the beauties of showing goats. I love helping my friends, you know, and there's a lot of friends that I've loved helping in the past that I will never get to help again because they're no longer here to help. And I think about that every show I go to. Okay. But it's really hard to be in the ring all the time and then to make sure your goats are properly uttered. But you have to make sure that you take the time and you've got to make sure that that goat, when she's in the ring, she is not leaking milk because it's about the welfare of the animal first and foremost, but it's also about the safety of all the other goats in that ring. And so, you know, one of the things when I'm gauging how full the udder is, I, very, I try very hard to make sure that there is no leaking milk. Again, as a person that's shown for a long time, if you go back 30 years, there are a lot of leaking goats in the show ring. I will say that exhibitors have done a much better job at it in today's time uh, than, than what was in the past. And, and one of that is because of the pioneers. You know, I can remember, you know, one of the great, one of 
someone that I respect very much is Sheila Nixon. All right. And she hasn't judged for many years. But, you know, before she would judge milkers at a national show, she would get on the loudspeaker and she would quite clearly outline the expectations that she had of how an animal should be properly uttered to enter her ring. And, you know, that information was invaluable. And I will never forget those, you know, talkings to the exhibitors as long as I live because she was bestowing great knowledge um, to all of us on things to think about, you know. And so I guess I diverged, but, you know, that's something that I think you have to keep in mind as an exhibitor, you know, and as you're thinking about the welfare and the care of your goat as you're, you know, getting ready for your next class, per se. I think that fits perfectly into this topic, Todd, because when yeah. we have those beautiful memory systems, we want to present them in the best way possible. And um, leaking milk everywhere is not not keeping with that desire. And coming fresh off a goat show where, you know, we may or may not have had that problem. You know, it is it is a good thing. And it's something I've been mulling around in my brain where, OK, do we need to breed for and it's crazy to say, but tighter orifices. You can get them too tight as a person who hand milks, okay? There, there have been those in my lifetime. I can think of two. Um, I can remember. I can even tell you the names of the goats. They were so challenging to milk because they did not have enough flow of milk that both does had to be called. So, yes, okay. you can be too tight, but also you want to make sure that that sphincter is clearly doing its job and that milk is not leaking. And so, you know, um, one thing that, you know, I always cringe is that, you know, sometimes when you're working with veterinarians and maybe you have a doe that has a milk stone and the veterinarian's like, well, I think we should dilate this teeth. I am anti-dilating teeth unless it's the last resort because from my personal experience, any veterinarian who has ever dilated a teat on a goat that I own, and it's always been a veterinarian do it. They have damaged the orifice on that goat. And then that goat becomes a chronic uh, milk leaker. And I've had to call the dose. So, you know, I would only, you know, you have to be very careful when that orifice is so important because it truly can influence the, you know, the, again, that productive life of the goat. I know I keep on saying productive life, but I, I think it's key. I think it's a key word in raising any animal, you know, is this goat going to be able to function over a long period of time and be profitable because she is free of those types of challenges that could influence, you know, a long lifespan. Todd, before we wrap up, I do want to circle back around about the rear udder because I know we, I don't think we've formally talked about it, but we've, we've talked about it from little bits and pieces here. And I think it's, it's really important. And I remember, Something specifically because you were on the panel at this TC that I was at that you talk about a lot. And I heard it at the national show was the width of rear udder and maintaining that width all the way from the bottom to the top or top to the bottom. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, that's, that's I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's one of my uh, key reasons I use um, as I'm describing that shape. Yeah, you want that shape to be uniform. From the top of the attachment to the floor of the other. So, you know, some goats will be kind of narrow at the top of their attachment. 
and then they'll get wider and then either they'll continue to get wider or they'll get narrow. And so to have that beautiful, you know, going back to the, the words that you used, globular, um, you know, a globular mammary system is going to be wide, you know, um, as you work from the top of the mammary system to the center of the mammary system, you know, it's going to have a, a uniform shape to it versus being very narrow at the top and then maybe getting wide at the bottom, you know, so that it's part of maintaining that shape. The other thing we didn't really talk about, and a lot of times people don't think about it, is the smoothness. Is we want, it's not just having a high rear udder. It's not just having a wide rear udder. But does that udder fit seamlessly into the escutcheon? Or does that udder drop, you know, and, and have tissue there that's not really holding that udder up well supported? Uh, and well attached. And so we want to make sure it's smooth as well. You know, so, you know, as you know, we have to remember that some of the people listening to this podcast probably may not even be show people, you know, and so I you know, what is a really good resource out there to really help you understand mammary systems? One of my favorite dairy goat resources is the linear appraisal blue book. You know, those pictures are outstanding. Because they clearly illustrate, you know, for the visual learner, the, what ideal looks like. So, again, even though it's not the same program as showing, they use the same scorecard. And those pictures show, you know, I, different ranges of what you're going to see. And there is an ideal range. And that ideal range is totally correlated to what the ideal mammary system looks like when judging a show. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, if you, if you go back to your training at the TC, you know, when we were teaching mammary systems, don't we use a lot of those pictures from the little blue book, you know, to illustrate yeah. these points. And, and it's, it's truly a great Agda resource again, created by those pioneers that, that you, the three of us remember, some of those great people. And again, I'm going to try not to get, you know, I get emotional because I have so much respect for them. Some of them are no longer with us. Some of them are well up into their years. Okay. But they devoted their lifetime to, through personal experience and milking goats in a dairy to collecting this data informally. I mean, there wasn't money to pay universities to collect this data. We're not the dairy cow industry where, you know, they spend lots of money, you know, lots of money is allocated to researching these traits. But these pioneers, you know, research these traits. They've looked at the data that was collected from linear appraisal. And, you know, they've started to pull this all together and, you know, helping us perfect the scorecard. Okay. I mean, scorecards get rewritten over time. I mean, the classic example is, you know, dairy character versus dairy strength. You know, when I was a kid, it was dairy character. Now it's dairy strength. The scorecard ha has been rewritten. Who says that in another so many years that there won't be new evidence that supports that a mammary system maybe needs to be slightly different based on information and knowledge that we have, and we have to go back, look at the scorecard, and rewrite it. And so we always have to think about, you know, knowledge that we gain over time based on life experience. And so um, 
a lot of wonderful people spent their lifetime milking goats, collecting that data informally, and then later using that information to write the scorecard that we're talking about. Yes, I I agree. Wow, I there's, I'm just I'm reflecting on what you just said, and it's it's truly magical. Um, Todd, is there anything else that we missed about the memory system that you want to talk about? I think we covered it pretty well, and I think we covered it from a different from different perspectives. I, I always think you have. I know I, I as a person always say this: when I look at a goat, I always look at the bigger picture. I freshen so many goats, I only can keep so many. And I keep the goats that I think are, you know, are the goats that I want to continue to use genetically and also I want to show in the show ring. But we also have to think, where do our call goats go, okay? And if our call goats are going to commercial dairies, we owe it to the dairy goat industry to create a mammary system that while it may not have that show look, is still going to be a profitable, high-producing part of that goat that is going to help that dairyman be profitable and to be able to keep this industry that we all love and are passionate about thriving. And so, you know, I always think about that in all of my breeding decisions. And quite frankly, sometimes as a sauna breeder, well, any breed, but you know, sauna breeders, sometimes you get a lot of these big, milky <laughs> first fresheners that maybe don't have the fanciest show ever. But that goat still has a tremendous value in the dairy industry as long as that mammary system is functional, even if it may not be as pretty as we want it. I think that is a wonderful way to kind of wrap up this whole dive into the memory system, Todd. And I, I just, there's good, there's so much that, that you have covered and so many good points that you've brought out in here that I know that I'm going to have to listen to this podcast a couple of times myself, not just through editing, but just listening to it again. So thank you so very much for being our guest today. I, I really appreciate it and really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us. It was, it's a true pleasure. And, you know, we depend on each other in this industry to grow. And so, you know, I think it's awesome that you and Cameron have taken on this initiative to, to create these podcasts to help educate dairy goat owners. There are more new dairy goat breeders and enthusiasts than ever. And we saw, you know, a record number of goat sales during, you know, COVID last year because of a movement of people that want to, you know, create their own milk, you know, on their, in their backyard. And so it's awesome that now we have different ways for people to learn about dairy goats. And so I applaud you for all the work that you do in each of your podcasts to educate people. Well, it truly is a labor of love, isn't it, Cameron? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and on that note, as always, thank you listeners for listening. Um, if you like us, tell a friend. Uh, if you don't like us, maybe don't tell a friend, but that's okay. If you don't as well, give us some feedback because feedback is how we continue to grow on this podcast. So feedback is truly a blessing. 
Uh, as always, find us on the Facebook, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Google Podcasts, really wherever you get your podcasts as well. And as always, give us some feedback. We do recommend that. And have a great week. Have a great week, everybody.